Amen. All right, title this message. I just, uh, I'm not really good at titles. It's more for me than it is for what's going on here, but I just titled it The Acts Community. Uh, Acts 4, 32 through 35, the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of those things that he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them. See, sometimes we read great grace was upon the apostles. It doesn't say that. It said great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked for all, what does it say there? All who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each as anyone had need. Now, kind of a little bit of background on the, uh, Jesus. Uh, obviously, we, we know that the, everything is about Jesus. Ministered for three and a half years, uh, was uh, crucified, buried, uh, resurrected, uh, rose again. Uh, but before he rose again, he told the disciples not to leave Jerusalem until they received the promise of the Father. Uh, you shall receive power if the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. They were in Jerusalem praying in an upper room for about 10 days on the day of Pentecost. The Bible says uh, uh, there was a rushing mighty wind came into Acts chapter 2 verse 1 through 4. Rushing mighty wind and tongues as a fire rested on each one of them and they began to speak in other tongues and to, wor- and to prophesy by praising the Lord. But they began to praise the Lord. So that was on the day of Pentecost. The Bible says that 3,000 souls that day were added to the church. More than likely, it should probably be read 3,000 men because when they counted, they didn't really count women and children. It doesn't mean they weren't important. That's just not the way they did things. So uh, at least 3,000 men were added to the church, and it continues by describing the incredible change that took place in the midst of the believers who were impacted by the Spirit of God. Acts chapter 2, 43 through 47 says, Fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. As we read before, they, many, uh, all, um, all who believed were together, had all things in common, sold their possessions. And then verse 46, so continued daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. Hey, they must, they must have been describing what happened tonight. And we saw this too. The Lord added to the church. We don't meet daily, so we would probably say uh, uh, bi-weekly uh, those who are being saved. We're just sitting at the door watching people come in, watching people come in, going, wow, where are all these people coming from? Praise the Lord. All right, so then what happened? As I said before, God begins to do something. The enemy always tries to come in and create a problem. After an outbreak of persecution, uh, Acts chapter 8, Stephen was martyred. A guy named Saul is going after the church, and God saved Saul. But after, an act, after that outbreak of persecution, the Spirit of God was again poured out. And once again, Luke makes us aware of the impact of that outpouring. The impact is our text for today. In it, we see four effects taking place among the people. What we're going to be looking at this today is, is one, two, and three, and four. The first one is unity. The second one is power. The third one is grace. And the last thing that we're going to look at is the word care. Okay, so first thing we want to look at, unity, Acts 4.32, multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul, neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. Now you can get a crowd of people together for a lot of different reasons. They regularly get together for concerts, for bingo, uh, for games, political rallies, and what this, uh, riots, uh, 
All right, anyway. <laughs> so what this text is describing is more than just a coming together of people. What the text is revealing is an affective God that was initiated by the outpouring of the Spirit of God among those who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. The text says they were of one heart and one soul. In Jewish thought, the word heart was the center of their intellectual activity and soul was the seat of their will. So together, what they, they're inclusive of the total inner being of the person. We would say the soul of the person. The expression one in mind and heart may be expressed as they thought the same things and they wanted the same things. The reason they did so was because they were one body, the body of Christ. As a result, there was no division. Now, this was astounding because just a, a few days before, just weeks before, or the time, whatever the timeline was, when, when 3,000 people were converted, they came from everywhere. Acts chapter 2, 9 through 11, Parthians and Medes and Elamites. I can't believe we got Elamites in the church. Those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt. And these aren't like, these aren't uh, Brazoria County, Harris County. This isn't even Texas and, and, and Oklahoma. I mean, we're talking about El Salvadorians, Hondurans, uh, people from France, uh, Canada. I mean, we're talking about people from other cultures, Right? Visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and e Arabs. Yes, they had Cretans in the church back then. And we hear them, they say, speaking in our own tongues, the wonderful works of God. So this doesn't mean these believers saw everything eye to eye. Even in our own families, we don't see everything eye to eye, right? It's wrong to suppose, as sadly some do, that when believers dwell in unity, they're going to carry the same Bible. We don't read King James, you ain't from God. Well, I read King James, but I also like ESV, NASB. I like NIV. I like a lot of these things that people, I like to read them all. And there is no one standard Bible that we preach from here, that we teach from. I, whatever the Bible that I'm in, that's what we do. The goal is to get into the Word of God, not which Word of God. We don't all have to carry the same Bible. We don't all have to read the same books. We don't all have to dress the same. We don't all have to promote the same styles. We don't all have to educate our children the same way. We, all, we don't all have the same likes and dislikes. God didn't ask us to become Christian clones. The fact is the insistence that others be just like one of us is one of the most disunifying mindsets a church can have because it instills a judgmental inflexibility that, that hurls people away from the church with lethal force. One of the wonders of Christ is that he honors our individuality and our cultures while bringing us into unity. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 6, there are diversities of gifts but the same spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it's the same God who works all in all. God was going to call different people to do different things. Do you remember when the disciples, uh, when this woman came and they offered a big offering to the Lord? She offered a, she broke a big bottle of incense before the Lord and the, and the apostles were incensed. They said, man, what a waste. We could have sold that. We could have done a lot of good deeds. We could have given to the poor. We could have bought food. They didn't say that, but that's basically what they're thinking. You know, it's, uh, God and Jesus said, leave her alone, right? So sometimes we're not careful. We want to tell people how they should serve God. 
or in what way or what they should do with their time, what they should do with their money. And we need to give people the flexibility to hear from God themselves. Every servant is accountable to his own master. Well, they're not doing what I think they should be doing. Well, that's not between you and that's not uh, between you and that's between them and God. Let God deal with it. Let God deal with them, however, and we don't know that God's not talking to them about that. It may not be what, what they're doing may be exactly what they're supposed to do, but what about this people over here? Well, maybe what you're trying to do is get somebody else to do what you're supposed to be doing. Oh, that hurt. As long as we're involved in the work, God has a different work for each and every one of us, and we, and we have to let people uh, follow their heavenly master. Again, let every servant be accountable to his own master. The early Christians certainly differed in their opinions on many things, food, clothing, language, customs, but they were united as to who Christ was. He was Lord of all. All of them recognized the necessity of living for him and also in being involved in his work. The next effect of the outpouring of the Spirit of God, as we already looked at, we looked at unity, is the power of God that was demonstrated. That's what we're going to look at. The second word is power, Acts 4.33. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Jesus isn't dead. He's alive. Right? I'm thankful for what Jesus did in dying for me. But I'm not living for a dead Jesus. I'm living for a living Jesus. He's alive. And he was resurrected with power. And the Bible says in Romans 8, I think maybe verse 11, if that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, then he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies if that spirit dwells in you. We're looking at the rest. That's what made Christianity powerful was not the death of Jesus, but it was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So when I use the word power as the heading, the text actually says that the apostles gave witness not just with power, but with great power. It reminds me of Paul in Acts chapter 19, where it says he was doing extraordinary miracles. I, I want to believe God for the ordinary miracles. But I don't want to stop at ordinary. I want to see the extraordinary. I want to believe God for the power of God to move in our midst. But I don't just want to see the power of God move. I want to see God move in great power. In fact, the word Greek is the word mega, where you get the word megaphone. It means great, loud, large, surprising, significant. It carries the sense of something remarkable or out of the ordinary in degree, magnitude, or effect. The word power is from the Greek word dunamis. It describes power or ability. But often in classical Greek and the Septuagint, the word was also used to depict the assembled forces of an army whose combined strength enabled them to achieve unrivaled victories. These troops were so strong that they simply could not be resisted. But in addition, we find that the word dunamis can also describe that the power that is inherent in a certain aspect of nature. For example, the power in a hurricane would be described as dunamis power because it is a power so mighty that's impossible to resist or impossible to defeat. Well, we're not just talking about power. The Bible says great 
power was done. I mean, with great power. So what we're talking about is mega power, mega dunamis. What I believe is being referred to is the demonstration of God's mega power through signs and wonders. As Jesus had, the apostles also preached and demonstrated the word in the power of the Spirit of God. And again, not just power, but with mega power. This was how Jesus ministered. And I want to give you just a, 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 a just a, 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 if you don't know this, I want to give you a clue here that he expected us to minister this way as well. He expects the church to move in power, but not just power, but in great power. That's the bar that he set for the church. Jesus moved this way because he said, we see that in his life, but let me just give you a text to, to, to a couple of texts to, show, texts to show you that. Luke 4, 18 and 19, Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach. And you know, in much of evangelical Christianity, we stop it there. But he also said, he sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. What kind of captives? You can be captive to depression. You can be captive to, 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 you know, uh, to uh, uh, all sorts of different things. But Jesus came and he was anointed. The word anointed means the Spirit of God was on him in power to set them free. To proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. That means the jubilee of God. Jesus came that we would be set free. Matthew 4.23 says, Jesus went about all Galilee, all the area where he was, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing all, not some, not most, all kinds of sicknesses and all kinds of diseases among the people. I heard somebody uh, while I was sitting uh, here and they were worshiping saying, I come against and I take authority over diabetes. You got to go. And that's true. I'm believing God that diabetes has to go. We got we to demonstrate God's power over everything that afflicts the people of God, whether it be heart disease or injury or lameness or blindness or deafness or, or demonic. It's all got to go at the power of Jesus Christ. And you say, well, that's Jesus. Jesus is God. He is God, but everything he did on this planet, he did, as a, he did as a man empowered by the Spirit of God. So what you can say about Jesus is Jesus is our Savior. Jesus is our Lord, but he's also our example. You yeah. say, well, I can't do what Jesus did. You can in your own strength, but you can empowered by the Spirit of God. Yeah. Remember what I said before, Acts 1 and 8, you shall receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and then you shall be my witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Well, what, what do I do with this power? Jesus said, most assuredly, in John 14 and 12, most assuredly I say to you, uh, he who believes in me, the works that I do, what are the works that he did? He healed the sick, raised the dead, cleansed the lepers, cast out devils. The works that I do, greater works than these shall you do. Well, he's talking to the apostles. The apostles were disciples. Aren't we disciples? Doesn't it say in Mark 16 and 15, these signs will follow those who are apostles? It says those who believe. How many of y'all are believers? Well, then he's talking to us, right? So it's not just the works that now we say, well, wait a minute. Jesus did some pretty awesome works. He's saying we're going to do greater works in the sense of quality of works. I believe it's quantity of works. 
Because now you just don't have one man. Yes, he was a Lord, but he was empowered by the Spirit of God. You don't just have one man going throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, healing every form of sickness and every form of disease. Now, in this particular day, he just commissioned 12, then he commissioned 72, and then he commissioned all who would come after him. So now you have multitudes and multitudes of believers. Each and every one of them should understand that they've been sent by God. The Spirit of God is upon them to do what? To get people saved, heal the sick, uh, uh, cleanse the leper, cast out devils, cause the lame to walk, the blind to see, the deaf to hear, the dead to be raised. The same Greek words also describe what God was doing through Stephen, Acts 6 and 8. Stephen, full of faith and power. It actually says, did great wonders, mega wonders and signs among the people. And Stephen wasn't an apostle. He was actually chosen to be a deacon. But he moved in the anointing of God, and God used him. What did he have? He was full of faith. And being full of faith, he was clothed in power. Amen? So God expects this of us as well. So we see a church that is in unity, and we see a church that is moving in great power. But not only they in unity and power, there's a third thing we want to look at, and that is the word grace, okay? Acts 4.33, with great power, the epistles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and great grace was upon them all. What is grace? It actually comes from the Greek word charis or charis, from which we get the word charisma, and we get the word charismata, which, you know, we talk about being a charismatic church right, which means grace gifts. So in short, grace is the empowering presence of God. And he said, well, that's not how I learned about grace. I thought I was taught that grace is receiving something you didn't deserve. That's true. It is that, but it's more than that. Jesus had great grace upon him. And I don't know about you, but in my mind, Jesus deserved everything he got. Because he wasn't a sinner that God was having mercy upon. He was, he was walking fully and righteously in everything that he walked in. He deserved. But the Bible says he had great grace upon him. So grace has got to be more than receiving something you didn't deserve. And what we find as you look throughout Scripture is grace is actually the empowering presence of God. The grace gifts are the gifts of the Spirit are in the empowering presence of God flowing through you. Right? So that... that the today's, I think it's the TEV, the Today's English Version, has translated God poured rich, translated this by saying God poured rich blessings on them all. Other ways of translating are God showed great favor to them all. God was exceedingly good to them all. Or God blessed them all very much. Bottom line is great grace was upon them all. Christ came to an empty people and poured his grace and power upon them. We're saved by grace. We're healed by grace. We're nurtured by grace. Some understand this uh, 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 of, the, uh, of the favor with which the people regarded them, but it's better to take it of the grace. Uh, uh, it's better to take it as that which abounded towards them in the spiritual gifts and anointing and rich blessings, crowning their efforts with success. God showed great favor 
gave them great grace. And what, would, what did that mean? That they had uh, extremely uh, uh, incredible success with the people, favor with the people because the presence of God was upon them, empowering them, equipping them to be able to do what God is calling them to do. Acts 11, 22 through 24. Then news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch when he came and had seen the grace of God. What was happening in Antioch? The power of God was moving. The Spirit of God was moving. People were preaching. People were getting saved, healed, delivered, set free. Barnabas saw that. He said, that's the grace of God, the empowering presence of God. He was glad and he encouraged the church, encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. Acts 20, 31 through 32. Therefore watch and remember that for three years Paul is writing and saying, I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and by the word of his grace. Now remember, what is grace? The empowering presence of God. Right? So why is this important? Because we don't have the power to change lives. I tell you all the time, it's, it's not my preaching that's going to change your life. I'm not going to change your life. It's this that's going to change your life. To the extent that I preach this, you're going to see God do things in your life. Because the Bible says he, confor he confirms his word with signs and wonders following. It doesn't say he confirms his preacher. It says he confirms his word. Where the, the Word of God is full of grace. What is grace? The power of God. When you, put, when you allow the Word of God to move, and the Spirit of God is moving in our midst, but we can't ever divorce the Spirit of God from the Word of God. You have to have the Spirit of God. You can have the Word of God and have no Spirit. Right? If you have the Word of God without the Spirit of God, what do they say? You dry up. You can have the Spirit of God without the Word of God. And what happens if you have the Spirit of God without the Word of God? You blow up. This is just a saying that, that's been said. For What happens when you have the Spirit of God and the Word of God working together? The power of God is released and the church of God grows up. I'm a, but we want the Spirit of God to move, and He will move, and we're going to allow Him to move. And I want to tell you something. When the Spirit of God moves, there's going to be some excesses. It just happens. Because we, God doesn't come the way you think he's going to come. And you can't put him in a box and you can't say, we're going to accept this and we're not going to accept that. You, don't, you can't do that. Well, how do we know if it's God? You got to write it out. You got to let it bear fruit. If it, once the fruit is demonstrated, then you'll know if it's God or not. It reminds me of uh, John, John Lake went over to Africa, and, and when he got there, he was given uh, a charge of a church immediately. And, and when, he, when he began to preach there, the Spirit of God began to move. People began to get saved, incredible power of God. And one evening, there was this guy started moving up to the front. You know, like sometimes you have people move up to the front, he, he fell down. It was a smaller church. Probably, you know, probably I'm going to guess it was a smaller church. Pat. Comes up to the front, fell, falls down. Another guy is drawn up to the front. He falls down. Problem is he falls down on top of this guy. Another guy comes up to the front. He falls down. Next thing you know, got 20 people all on top of each other. And, and a guy comes over to John G. Lake and he said, hey, is, you think this is God or not? And he said, I don't know. Let's wait and find out. And you see, what happens is when something's outside of our box, we immediately want to say that ain't God. And really, what we should be saying is, I don't know if that's God or not, because I've never seen it before. But the reality is, it could be God, 
It might not be God. Let's find out and wait. Well, after, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't remember the exact story. If it was 30 minutes to an hour, I don't remember. The, the, one of the guys began to get up, and as he began to, uh, to get up, he began to give glory to God and praise the Lord for what God was doing in his life. And another one got up. He began to glorify the Lord, praise God for what God was doing in his life. And about then, John turns over to the guy and said, I think it's God. Um, I've told this story, but some of y'all aren't even aware of this happening in the past, but there was a revival that broke out in the past when I was pastoring in Pearland in Florida. And it was, it was, the talk of it was going through the church. And in the church, you had some people were saying, hey, this is God. And in the church, you had some people were saying, this ain't God. And I was hearing both sides of it. Mostly, this ain't God. I said, well, I got to find out if this was God or not, you know. So I got a friend of mine to go with me. We drove down. This is in Pensacola, Florida. We drove down there, and uh, they basically said, you can't get into the church if you don't wait, you know, from early in the day. You have to wait. You have to wait in line. They get in. We get there after churches start. I'm sure it's about 8 o'clock. We get checked into the hotel. It's about 8 or 8.30. I turn over to the guy. I said, you want to drive down there? And I or he asked me, you want to drive down there? And, of course, being a man of great power, I said, we'll never get in. Well, let's go. So we drove down there, and right in front in the first parking lot, there's an open space we put in. And I said, well, we'll never get in the church, you know. So, man of great faith and power, you know. But anyway, we walk into the church, and I said, hey, look. He said, we just got here. Is there any way we can get in? He says, yeah, I got a seat for you. He takes us right down to the front row. Right where Anna Joe is sitting, like the second seat on the front row. It's like there was an opening. He sits me right there. I turned to the guy and said, well, I guess God wanted us here, you know. It's amazing. So we're down there, and we're watching everything that goes on. I want to tell you, those, you don't get out of there in an hour. In fact, the worship team doesn't start getting warmed up for about an hour. They probably worship, what, was it two hours, two and a half hours as the Spirit began to lead? And, you know, uh, I was in a church one time going off on a rabbit I was in a church one time when I thought I was going to be an evangelist. And I got up to the pulpit late because they had all these things that were going on. And I was at 11.45 or so. And he said, hey, you know, just go on, take your time. You just go for it. Don't worry about it. About 12 o'clock, there was a lady in the back shaking her keys. <laughs> And I was naive. I didn't know anything. I hadn't been in church that long. I didn't know any of this. But she was basically saying, it's time to go. And my wife said, man, she was sitting back there. She heard that lady shake. And she said there were other people shaking their keys. Well, you know, thank God. I don't respond to that very well. I just kept on preaching. We got to the restaurant after we went to go eat. Guess who's at the restaurant? The lady who was shaking her keys. But anyway, she didn't create a scene. But there was nobody shaking their keys at, at Pensacola. They were all with expectancy, believing. They didn't care about the time. Just like when you go to the baseball game. You know why I don't go to the baseball game? I know I'm going to be there three, four hours. I don't want to go for three or four hours. And then it's going to take me an hour to get out uh, and an hour to drive home and an hour to get there. I mean, you're looking about six to eight hours to go to the baseball game. And for, for, for a family of four, probably about $500 to go. I don't want to do that. So I don't go. But, you know, when it came to Pensacola, people would stand at 6 o'clock in the morning or even early, they'd start waiting at 6 o'clock in the morning for a service to start at 7 o'clock at night. And when they got in there, they didn't care how long it went. They didn't care if it was two hours, three hours before the preacher ever got up. And about two or three hours when the preacher got up, he would preach for about an hour or an hour and a half. And then they would have an altar call for another couple of hours. And some people, sometimes two or three in the morning, people are still there. Right? Why is that happening? Because people wanted God. 
They were in the presence of God. The Spirit of God was moving. Well, anyway, <laughs> let me get back to what I was talking about. So uh, I was sitting there trying to figure out if this is God or not. I'm watching for a couple of nights. And I, I don't know if you know, I, I, I'm not a big, um, I, I don't, some people when they get touched by the power of God, they'll just do that, you know. Other people will do the, the little jig like that. Some people will fall down. Some people will run, you know. Well, you know, I sometimes I think, well, man, there's something wrong with me, you know, because I don't respond to any of that. It's not that I don't want to. It's not that I don't want to. It's, I'm always ready. I'm always willing. I, I think, uh, um, well, anyway. It's, it's, so anyway, I'm sitting here. I'm, I'm not getting any input that way, but I'm trying to figure out this is God, you know. I, it feels like it's God, but how come people keep saying it's not God, you know? Well, because people are doing stuff they shouldn't be doing. They're jerking or whatever, and doing all that. That ain't God. Christians, that ain't God. Christians, that ain't God. Well, anyway, Friday night comes around. I think it's the second or third night where their baptisms are happening. And on the baptisms, uh, they had people coming up, and, and they had a couple of people. I remember two people. I was a drug addict. People from the revival came. They ministered to me. I got saved. God delivered me. And I just want to get baptized. And I give my life to the Lord. I want to give all glory to God. And the next girl comes up and she said, man, I was a prostitute. People from the Bible, they came out in the streets. They ministered to me. They talked to me about Jesus. I got saved. I've changed my life. And I want to give glory to God. And I turned to the guy that was with me and I said, this is God. This revival is God. Why? Because the devil will not do things that allow people to give glory to God. If you think that's what the devil does, Jesus said that a house divided against itself cannot stand. That wasn't the enemy. That was God. Now, where there's stuff happening there that makes the church uncomfortable, of course. Always is going to happen. Anytime the Spirit of God moves, you're going to have excess. But that's why he gives leaders. And that's why he gives uh, uh, people in the church to, to help figure out what's going on here. But if you immediately say, that ain't God, you might just cut something off that is God. Right? I was, uh, one time I was a, uh, a youth pastor, and uh, I'm, I'm, I may not finish this. Is that okay? Yeah. But I just, I, I just, yeah. I'm just hungry for rabbits. <laughs> so anyway, I was a youth pastor, and I was a youth pastor in, in Brownsville. And I, I'm, no, um, I was a youth pastor in, in, in Fort Worth. I, I think uh, this was before Brownsville. Uh, this was when Rodney Howard Brown was coming through. And Rodney Howard Brown had this thing going on wherever he went, people would just break out in laughter, right? It was really funny watching him because he was like annoyed with the laughter. I mean, he wasn't, but he was like, I'm trying to preach here. And all you guys are laughing and, ah! you know, they just start laughing, you know, was, you know and you, is this God? Is this not God, you know? So uh, we went down there, took the youth guy, I was a youth pastor, took the youth group got down there, and, and the youth group got whacked, you know, they got prayed for, they were all on the floor, you know, and, 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 um, and uh, so anyway, uh, this went on for a couple nights, I, I, I was going to seminary, I was a youth pastor, and they'd call me at night, you know God's in something if the youth are calling and saying, would you take us back? Because most of the time the youth pastors are going, come on, you need to go, it's important, you know, how many you got, you got 20 kids, I got three signed up, that's usually the way it works. But now the youth were calling me and saying, can I go? And I'm like, man, okay, all right, I'll take you down there. We go down there, and they get whacked. They loved it, man. They didn't care how late it was. They just loved it. So anyway, uh, I remember one time I was, I was in the, because uh, you learn by imitating, you know. You learn by doing the way things others do. I was in, I was in a, a, a youth meeting, 
and I was praying. I lined them all up, and, and, and I, I had them all against the wall. I said, I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to say, I just believe in them, like Rodney Howard Brown. I was going to pray for them. I was praying for them, praying for them, praying for them. I was, I was praying with my eyes open, and nothing happened. Nothing happened. I'm like, huh. So there's a girl behind me that she's new, and, uh, and I said, well, she probably don't know too much about this. It don't look like, you know, she's probably Baptist, and she's never familiar with Pentecost stuff. And, but nothing was happening anyway, but I thought I'd go over there, and I turned around, and I went over and sat down with her, and I started talking to her, and all of a sudden she goes, oh, what? Turn around. All the kids are going. <laughs> I mean, they were laid out on the floor, and it was like God said, I don't need you. It's me, you know? But the kids were on fire for God. They were on fire for God. We go to camp, and when we're at camp, they start praying for people, and, and they start believing God. People are getting touched. Now, was there excesses? Yes, there's excesses. Anytime you have people, anytime you have flesh, people that are growing, they don't know, of course you're going to have excesses. But they're still on fire. That Spirit of God is in them moving. And so they don't, the people that are there, they're like, they've never seen it before. So they call the camp pastor, who's usually a missionary. They, he's the camp. He said, man, we need you to come. He comes in the meeting, and he looks at them, and there's no, you don't need to know who he is. Is. It's nothing to do with that, but I'm just trying to give you an understanding. He came in and he saw that and he said, that's not God. And you know what the kids did? And not just at camp. They stopped. Because somebody had said what they were feeling and what they were sensing and what they were doing was not God. We cannot be too quick to judge something as being God or not God. And I'm going to tell you right now, we don't have a blueprint. We don't know whether something's going to happen. Is it God or not? We may not address it right away because we don't know. We've got to figure it out just like you. But we don't want to be too quick to say something's not God because we've never seen it before. The disciples were very quick to say when they saw somebody walking on the water, that's a devil. And you said, well, they didn't say that. They said, es una fantasma. You know what that is? A devil. That ain't God. And the next thing you know, turns out it was. Well, why would they say it wasn't God? Because they'd never seen it before. But when they heard the Lord's voice, but see, he had to get closer and they had to hear his voice. They had to, be, they had to lean in. And when they leaned in like Elijah, when that storm came, he knew the Lord's voice and he knew the Lord wasn't in the storm. It doesn't mean that the Lord wasn't in the storm before. He just wasn't in that storm. He wasn't in the great wind. It doesn't mean the Lord wasn't in the wind before. He just wasn't in that wind. But when he heard the voice, he said, that's when he came out. And the disciples, when they heard his voice, they said, oh, this really is God. I wonder how many of them came up to Jesus and said, I'm so sorry I called you a devil. But they were too quick to judge, right? And if we're too quick to judge, we just might miss what God's wanting to do. There is no blueprint. I don't know how God's going to move here. I don't know how, what we're going to see happen. I just know I want God. I want him however he wants to come. And in order for that to happen, we have to be patient. We have to be open. We have to be willing. And will we make mistakes? Absolutely. 
Well, how will we know it's God? Because people are going to get up and they say, I got saved. God delivered me. God healed me. God did this in my life. But that's a fruit. And sometimes you don't see the fruit right away. It takes a little bit of time. You've got to be willing to be patient, right? So, but God's, and now I've got to get back. I don't know how I got off on this, but I've got to get back. How would I get over here anyway? Well, I'm, I'm just, you know, uh, God's moving, and he's going to move more. And, I, and, and like I said, and, and you're going to hear when God begins to move. Not just me, but you're going to hear some people say, that ain't God. And you're going to have the choice whether to believe it or not. And I know, I've been there. Part of you is going to go, I don't want to be involved with something that's not, that's not God. You know, and you have to do your due diligence. You have to pray. You have to seek the Lord. I'm not telling you not to do that. I'm not saying that you should trust me wholeheartedly. I'm not saying that. You trust the Word. You trust the fruit. But I'm just telling you what I want to do is I want to know. I want to get, I asked the Lord, I said, I want to know you and the power of your resurrection. And Paul said, in the fellowship of your sufferings. And I want you to know, if we're going to host revival, you are going to suffer. You're going to suffer ridicule. You're going to suffer persecution. Because as for as many people that are going to come and say, I want to be a part of it, there's going to be just as many or more. And usually they're going to be church, family members, people that you know that are going to say, that ain't God. And you're going to have to decide whether or not you want what God is doing in your midst. Was it? I got off, but I felt like the Lord was in this. I want God. I want God. There's an anointing in this place that's been increasing, I'm telling you. And I think you all feel it. And I think what we're going to see, we're going to begin to see, we're seeing people come in. Oh, by the way, okay, so I got deviated anyway. So let's go ahead and, 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 and tell you what we want to do. I haven't talked to the board yet, but it takes six months to get 100 more of these chairs. And we've already found out one of the things that I'm telling, I didn't, I didn't intend to do this. I just feel like the Lord's in it because we had somebody say, we need more chairs. I'm like, and then we had people come in on Sunday. I think we need more chairs. Because <laughs> one thing you don't realize is that if you have 160 chairs, you're not full when you have 160 people. You're full when you have about 110 to 120 people. Because people will come in and they'll say there's no room. So now, if there's an incredible move of God, then people will sit next to each other. But more often than not, they're going to skip a space or they're going to do whatever you can. There's my family, skip a space. There's your family. It skips two spaces. That's just what they do. All right? So we've got 160 chairs. We, if everybody would have been here, we had 97 people with the ones that were here. We'd had 120 people. We're full already. So we need to get, by faith, 100 more chairs. So we actually, by faith, called, and we're going to begin a process of raising of money for 100, and, uh, 100 more chairs. It takes six months to get them, but by faith we're going to believe that, that everything's going to be taken care of when we get there. Now here's the thing, and, and, and I asked, uh, I asked uh, Anna Jo, I said, there's no, don't, don't uh, what would you say, don't be poverty-minded with God. When we bought 160 chairs, it cost $16,000. Prices have gone up. We're going to buy 100 chairs, and it's going to cost about $16,000 plus shipping. So it's going to be, instead of $100 a chair, we're going to raise $185 a chair. But you know what? We can do that. It can happen. 
We're going to buy faith. I want, you to, I want you to buy into, this is, we're not a fundraiser. I'm just telling you, things are coming. I, don't want you, I want you to buy into what God is doing here. He said, well, what if we run out of room? Then we'll go to two services. Well, what if we run out of room? We'll cross that path when it comes. But I just believe when people's lives are touched, I'm not talking about, uh, my desire is not to have a big church. My desire is to have big people. People that are full of the Spirit of God. People that are moving in the power of God. And my desire is that, you say, why do you keep preaching signs and wonders? Because every sign and wonder that gets done is a life and a family that has changed. It's a life that's changed. I know, I know, I know. Before I used to think, well, you know, it's just, you're doing this for your ego, you're doing this for it. No, no, because I've been there. I know that when you're injured, when you've got a problem, your whole life changes to accommodate that problem. And to the gravity, to, to the, to, depending on the gravity of what you have, you can actually live in a diminished life. And Jesus didn't come for us to have diminished life. He came for us to have an abundant life. And it doesn't just affect you, but let's say you got uh, a COPD or you got some, some you need help. It affects your family. They got to care for you. You know, uh, they've got to take their life. When my dad was alive, he, you know, he had diabetes and, 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 you know, he would say, let me eat what I want. I don't care if I die, I die. And I said, well, dad, you're not, that's not fair. He said, you think that you're just going to have a bad thing. You're going to die. And I said, what happens if you lose your leg? What happens if you lose your foot? You know, you lose these things because you got diabetes. You lose an organ. He said, well, somebody in the family is going to probably give you a donation. They're going to give up their organ for you. They're, you're not going to be able to do things on your own, so people are going to have to take care of you. You see, this is what disease and sickness and all this does. It doesn't just affect you. It affects the people around you. So why is it important to believe God for what he wants to do? One is he wants to do it. He gets glory when these things happen. But two, every person who gets healed, delivered, set free, their life changed, but not only does their life changes, their family changes. How do you reach a community? By getting people saved, healed, delivered, and set free. You know what? Remember that commercial that says, and they told two people, and they told two people, and they told two people. When somebody gets touched and healed and changed by the power of God, they start telling everybody. See, mo most of us here, we've been Christians for a long time. We've already told everybody. I'm talking about our immediate circle. Now, we've got to start b extending our circles. But we've told our immediate circle. When I got saved, you got two or three more minutes? I'll let y'all go if you want. <laughs> oh, maybe I should let y'all go. Just like... oh, okay, I'll tell you this. Okay, I'll tell you this. When I got saved, I'm a shy guy. Very shy. Didn't want to get saved in church because there's too many people there. But the Lord saved me after three months. I got saved in my room, but I started going to church. I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. I got involved, Anna, Anna got me involved in a, in a mission called Salt and Missions. We were going to church, but we also did this mission on Friday night. We were taught the importance of evangelizing. Uh, met a couple of people in the things. Hey, let's do a rock and roll seminar because at the time that rock and roll, you know, play your thing backwards. This is what you hear. You know, that was all the rage at the time, you know, because a lot of these uh, the rock, hard rock bands, that, that, was, that was my era. So I said, well, let's get them all together. So we, in my home, we invited the neighborhood uh, and the whole neighborhood came, and they were listening to this. But this is just one event. But here's what happened when I got saved. My brothers got saved. My friends either left or they got saved. My brother's friends got saved. Um, apparently, 
people knew who I was because they, you know, Rick over here got saved and they came to the, they came to the seminar. They got saved at, at that rock and roll seminar that we had in the house. And bottom line is a great deal of our immediate circle got saved or they didn't have anything to do with us again, right? Because that's what Jesus does. When he comes in, it's light. And either you're going to gravitate toward the light or like a roach, you're going to run from it, right? But we've got to let the light shine. Arise, shine, for the light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. And the Lord is shining on us. And I've got, got to wind this down. And I want just want to encourage you that what God is doing, it's already begun. Pray into it. Believe God. Let's pray for our leadership. Pray for the church. Let's take up the trowel. Let's keep working, but let's also take up the sword, and let's pray and believe. But let's watch what God will do. Join me on this journey as we see what God is doing in revival. We were born for this. <laughs>